0: Leviticus chapter 20, we're going to pick up in verse 7 and read down to verse 8. Can we read that together this morning? Starting in verse 7 of Leviticus 20. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Church, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. God, I've I've been just so thankful for this series and what it can mean to us as believers when we begin to see who you are and who you are to your people specifically. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Father God, I pray this morning as we step into this new uh, name today, as we recognize who you are, God, I pray that we would embrace what it is that you call us to in the midst of that. God, that because of all of your goodness, Father, that you have a calling for each and every one of us. Father God, I just pray you bless our our time together. Lord, I pray that your words uh, would be spoken clearly here this morning. God, hide me behind your truths and everything you have for us. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So church, last week we discussed what it means that God is our righteousness, You know, we talked about last week how valuable and how important it is for us to understand the fact that Jesus Christ is our righteousness. He's the one that stands with us, before us, on our behalf. And so what we're talking about, and I want to mention this because I believe what we're talking about this morning can be kind of confused with what we talked about last week. But when we spoke about the righteousness of God last week, we're speaking about our right standing before a holy God and that Jesus is our representative when it comes before our standing before God, that He is our representative of perfect goodness, and that He will always stand before God, accepted by Him. And so because of that, when we have put our faith in Jesus, we stand before God in His perfect goodness, accepted by Him. And so this morning... You know, and and like I said, we gain this by faith. And so this morning, what we're going to talk about is a concept and an idea that I believe the church is either we we get confused on, or it's something that the church, kind of the modern church, we want to push back on. You know, and, and I think, especially for the modern church, I'm saying, you know, universal, that it's been to our detriment to kind of press back or kind of stiff arm this idea that we'll talk about this morning. You know, I don't know if you've ever kind of followed any of this, but um, the Barna Group, who is a group that does a lot of research, they do statistics, all these things. And I don't always like to throw around a lot of statistics, but I think in light of what we're talking about this morning, it's important for us to understand. Because a lot of times when we're talking about ministry mindsets, when we're talking about the way we do church, or the way we reach people, or the way we teach people, that especially in our modern day, there are very specific ideas about how you do that. And one of those things we've talked about before. It's called pragmatism, where you try to make the church look as much like the world as we can to make it easy for people to come in. And it was interesting, as I was doing some study, there was some research that was put out, and it says this, as we think about ministering to the world around us and creating a space where people come and gather... It says this, that they found that 67% of Millennials, which are people, anyone born between 1980 and 2000, which is who make up the majority of of our church core right now, who are kind of participating in the work of the church. 67% of Millennials prefer a classic church over a trendy one. Classic church over a trendy one, which that surprised me when I read that. I would have thought differently. But there's reason for that. That they prefer a classic church over a trendy one. And 77% would choose a sanctuary over an auditorium. And so why is that? You know, and so I started to think to myself, you know, we think about uh, our generation, my generation, the generation after me, you know, what, what they're looking for. You know, and one thing that I've always appreciated about my generation is my generation is questioners, right? We question a lot. You know, I remember, for me, growing up and trying to figure out what it is God had for me, I had a lot of questions. I'll, I'll be honest, I even had a lot of doubts. But in the midst of those doubts, God led me to truths. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful that I was allowed in spaces where those doubts and questions were able to flourish. But... You know, when we think about these th- this generation, we, we assume, in a lot of the way, church kind of works now. And you see modern churches the, in all, the way that they do their their thing is trying to emulate an experience that doesn't feel so much like what church used to be. And that's what you know. Well, we're not going to do like you know throwing around like traditional or classic or old church. We want to do things this other way to appeal to this new generation, but. You know, for myself and as I interact with people, and as you, you look at research and all these things that are going into it, that's not what the generations of people that we're trying to minister to are looking for. They're not looking for trendy. What they're looking for is truth. They're not looking for what's cool or what's hip. Even though that will bring people, people will come. I'm not saying people won't come to those churches, and those churches are full with thousands and thousands of people right now. I'm not saying that they, that won't attract people. But for us as believers, as Christians, as the church, we intend to do more than attract people to gathering, correct? We want to do more than just get people here. There's a deeper calling God has for us. And that if they're not looking, in my generation, the people right after me, if we're not looking for, for trendy, but we want classical, what is it about the classical aspect that we want? You know, What, what is it about the idea of wanting a sanctuary rather besides an auditorium? Like, What is that? And I believe it's this, because I know it's the cry of my heart, and in experiencing it and conversating with other people, what they want is not trendy. They want truth. What they want is substance over style. They want authenticity. Over the the, the play that we put on sometimes as Christians or even as church people, where we just kind of like play the part or it's very scripted, it's very like, you know, a, a presentation. They don't want that. They want real. They want something that's true. They want something that's authentic. And you know what? Even with that, they don't want something to be done just because it's always been done that way. They want it to be explained, they want it to be clear. And so that's where the, 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 the crux of it is, is that there's one end of it that's like, well, why do we do this? Well, I don't know. We do this because it's always how it's been done. Well, we need to know why we do what we do. But then the other end of it is we don't need to just do things that emulate the world so that it makes it more acceptable, because they want something more than that. People around us want more than the shallow church experience. They want authenticity. They want truth. They want to understand And so this morning, I've said all of that to get to this point, that what God has called us to in the name that we learn about this morning is Jehovah Makedesh, or the Lord who sanctifies the Lord who sanctifies, and this is a very this is a word that we typically only use in church. And so, if you've been outside of church, you wouldn't typically hear the word sanctifies or sanctified or to sanctify. And so, when we talk about that, what are we talking about? Well, last week when we talked about righteousness, righteousness and the word justification are like two words different. So, when we as Christians in our faith, the way we teach is that you are made righteous and justified instantly through Jesus Christ when we put our faith in Him. Other Parts of Christianity wouldn't necessarily look at it that way, but that's how we teach and believe, is that you are made righteous and justified at the same time, and that there's no gaining of that as you navigate your Christian life. But, so when we think about the word sanctification, or we think about the Lord who sanctifies, what are we talking about? Well, the same thing between uh, righteousness and justification is the commonality between sanctification and holiness. Sanctification and holiness. This is what the church tends to push back on because we feel like it's too traditional to talk about holiness or to even expect holiness from God's people. But He calls us. And what we see... him, so when we talk about righteousness or justification, we're talking about innocence before God. When we talk about sanctification or holiness, we're talking about being set apart, separated, to be special, to be different... Righteousness is how we stand before God. Holiness or sanctification is how we walk in this world. And so the act of sanctification is an invitation to us for holy living. And so this is what we're talking about. When we talk. You know, we talked about righteousness and how we stand before God, this week we're looking at what God has called us to as we navigate in the world. That God has a calling for us to be different. He has not called us to be the same. And does that mean that we push the world away? Absolutely not. It means we draw the world into the holiness and the sanctification that God has called us to. And just like righteousness... Holiness or sanctification is an already but not yet thing. That God has already made His believers holy in how we stand before God, but He has invited us into the not yet of how we live that out. And we'll see that this morning as we look at uh, God's Word, the already but not yet, how we navigate our Christian life kind of functions in that. And so, two things this morning that I want us to see and look at together. That sanctification, the first thing, sanctification is God setting us apart for more to be more. Sanctification is God setting us apart as Christians because if we're meant to be a lighthouse, if we're meant to be a beacon of hope in this world that we live in, we can't look the same as the rest. If we look like every other light that's shining around us, then what draws people to us? There's a reason why mosquitoes are drawn to a specific light because that light is what? That light is different. There's a reason why uh, flies are, are pushed away by Irish spring soap for some reason. I don't understand it, but they are. Because it's different, right? There's things about Christians that should make us set apart, sanctified, holy. Because that's what God has made us. He is our, He is the God who sanctifies us. He has made us to be separate. And so when we think about the idea of being sanctified, or to be holy, we need to remember that it's not just about sin. It's not just about sin. You know, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, it says that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, and, or sanctified it. You know, and so this is before sin even enters the world, we're talking about holiness and sanctification. So being sanctified and being holy isn't necessarily weighed uh, in the midst of sin. That's not completely the idea. You know, when we talk about God, we say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're not necessarily just speaking about the absence of sin. He obviously is without sin. But what is really the essence of holiness or being sanctified is the separation that God is different. You know, Psalm 22.3, it says, Yet you are holy, or sanctified, and on the praises of Israel. That God is different. That God is not like us. That He's not uh, like any other proclaimed deity in our world. He is holy. He is sanctified. He is different. And so not only that, when we think about holiness or being sanctified, not only are we not necessarily just focused on sin, but we're more focused on the idea of being different or being special or being set apart. When He talks about us, when when He speaks about Jeremiah, and we can see this kind of prescriptive element to us today in Jesus, In Jeremiah 1.5, He says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated or sanctified you... I appointed you as a prophet to nations. This is before sin. This is before Jeremiah had even done anything. But he said, I've already sanctified you for something. And he speaks this same truth into our life. When he looks into our lives and he commissions off us, we are sanctified. If we have put our faith in Jesus, God knew us before we were born and sanctified us for a purpose. It says it's not the necessarily the idea of being separated from sin. It's being separated within the world that we look. Different. That we act different. That people are drawn to us and our God because we are separated. We are consecrated. We are sanctified. We are holy. This doesn't elevate us to some type of importance or some type of hierarchy where we're better than anybody, but our God is better than everything. And so through us and through our sanctification, God is glorified. And so this is what He's called us to. You know, in writing, even in reading in Ezekiel, we can read this on the screen with us. But while the children of Israel are in exile, you know, we've talked about that a lot here lately... But while they're in exile, Ezekiel communicates from God what God intends to do with His people and how He intends to sanctify them or make them holy. Ezekiel 36 verses 22-30. through A few verses here, but I want us to see these together. He's talking to Ezekiel here and he says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name or my sanctified name, set apart name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And he says, he says, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through, your, through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And so he begins to shift, and this is what I'm going to do with you. This is how I'm going to make you sanctified. This is how I'm going to make you holy, as I'm going to actively do something with you. He says that I, he says, I will vindicate my holiness before their eyes, and I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will, put, I will cleanse you. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, and I will re- I remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It says, you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. And I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations." So God tells them, I'm going to do something different with you by who I create you to be. This sanctification process. He says, I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to gather you. I'm going to provide for you. Because God intends for us to be different. And through that, God's name will get glory. And through that, people will be drawn to who we worship and what we do as a people of God. God has called us to that. You cannot see that if we live and act and worship like the world does. You cannot see that truth if we look like the world. He has called us to be different. He's called us to look different. He has called us to be sanctified. And so why is this? So our main verse is in Leviticus chapter 20. You know, this is as the law is beginning to roll out and God is using His commands and His instructions to kind of draw the people into this holiness, to draw the people into this sanctified process. So when He says, consecrate yourselves, what is He calling them away from? Well, specifically in this, right before this, He mentions a pagan God that the people, that the nation of Israel and the nations around them have begun to worship. And this pagan God is Molech. Right before this, in verse, uh, in verse 2, we see uh, the writer talk about this. And so, this is significant because God is drawing them away from a very common practice with these particular worshippers that the children of Israel have begun to dabble in. And so the type of worship that these people, these worshipers of Molech, would do, is they practiced human sacrifice. But they didn't just practice human sacrifice with adults, they practiced human sacrifice with children. And the way that they would do this is they would have a giant, a giant statue that was metal or, or some type of iron steel, and that they would heat it up as hot as it could be, and then they would place babies in its arms. And within this context, this is their act of worship and sacrifice and offering to their God. Within this context, they would actually play drums to drown out the sound of the cries as this process is taking place. So this is what God is writing to in the midst of this. He, he's telling His prophet here, separate yourself from that. It's because God has not called us to that. There's no sacrifice that's good enough to be a worship to my God. That's why when God instructed Abraham to bring Isaac to the mountain to sacrifice him, God stopped him and said, No, I'll provide the sacrifice. A real God doesn't require His people to act in such disgusting ways. So where is the context within that for that? Well, church, you know, for us, when God calls us to be sanctified within the world that we practice here today, it's still a very similar environment that we are still sacrificing ourselves to false idols in the way that we give ourselves over to lesser things that the world offers us. We're still sacrificing our children and putting other things as value above God by offering them at the feet of these false idols of whatever it might be that we're falling into or whatever we're accepting. You know, for us, giving up ourselves to fall in line with complacency or comfort or whatever it might be to find success, to build up our pride. We're giving over our children to sacrificing them to, to to, uh, to lesser things of acceptance, of popularity, of comfort, of sports, whatever it might be, we're still offering ourselves and our, the people that we care about at the feet of these false idols. And so with even in the midst of this God is speaking to us, consecrate yourselves. Be separated. And what God is calling us to is He's calling us to be distinguished from the practices of the world and that our practices look different. The way that we worship our God is different. We don't worship our God by sacrificing ourselves to lesser things. We worship our God by submitting ourselves to His will. And in a loving, fatherly relationship that He has given to us, that we practice our life differently. 1 Peter 1, 15-16, he says, But but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so we think to ourselves, well, what does that mean? How can I be holy? So not only remember the already, but not yet. God has already consecrated us, already made us holy. But then there's this element for us within our Christian lives that we are called to continue to sanctify ourselves, or to be holy, to live holy lives. Is this possible? Possible for us? Yes. Is it perfect for us? No. But just because we can't do it perfectly doesn't mean we don't pursue it. And so just like righteousness, last week we talked about pursuing righteousness. We don't pursue righteousness perfectly, but God still calls us to pursue it. Holiness, being set apart, being consecrated, being separated, being differently. We don't do this perfectly, but God has called us to do it. And so what does this mean? The second and last thing this morning is this, that God has sanctified us to sanctify ourselves. God has separated us within Himself to further separate ourselves as we navigate the world. So when you hear me say "separate," a lot of times we think separating, so that means we shut ourselves into a bubble and we don't interact with people that we either don't agree with, or we don't like their opinions, or whatever it might be. That is not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is that being sanctified is not being influenced, or distracted, or uh, thrown off course... By the world and by what it brings to us. By you know, having our minds and our hearts confidently set on this sanctified place that God's called us to. And so sanctification is the act of being made holy. And that God has done this in our lives for us to maintain this pursuit. And we can truly only maintain this pursuit because of what God's doing in our life. So He's called us to that. Hebrews 10.14, He says, "But For by a single offering He has protected for all time those who are being sanctified. So we have already been set apart, but we are still in process of being sanctified. What does that mean? God is making us holy within our lives. And so that's the process God is continuing. That's the process we participate in when we pursue holiness in our life. Hebrews 13.12 says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has sanctified us through Jesus He's made us holy in the world the same way He made us innocent before God through faith in Jesus' work on the cross on our behalf. So God has made us holy, and He's made us righteous through Jesus. But He calls us to participate in that pursuit still. So once we have believed, we can begin to pursue holiness and the sanctified living of our own lives. So what does that mean? What is our responsibility in the midst of that? Our responsibility in pursuing holiness is how we deal with our sin, is how we deal with our temptation. Whether it is active sin, or passive sin, the apathetic sin of how we, you know, apathetically or nonchalantly approach God in our faith. And so sanctify, and, and it's important for us, there's a place within the context of what God is doing around us that to truly experience what God is doing, it requires us to sanctify ourselves, to put ourselves in position to experience what He's doing. Us, we, we, God is going to accomplish His work. Now, whether we experience that work within the context of our own lives and get to enjoy it is up to us. Our obedient steps of holiness. Our obedient steps of pursuit. You know, in Joshua 3.5, as they're beginning getting ready to cross the Jordan River, he tells them, he says, "...then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate or sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you." He says, listen, if you want to experience and see what God is going to do, sanctify yourself, set yourselves apart as part of God's people, as a part of God's plan, as a part of God's process, so that you will encounter and see what God is doing. I believe so many of us, the problem with why we are not seeing God do magnificent, wonderful things around us is because we're not setting ourselves apart in a place within God's will to be able to see it. Now, does that mean we're not saved if we've done that? No, but I believe we're robbing ourselves of the sanctified experience, but not pursuing holiness. Because we're giving ourselves over to lesser things. We're offering ourselves to the altar of lesser gods. We're offering our children to the altar of lesser gods. And so we're missing what God is doing in and around our lives because we're not sanctifying ourselves. We're not setting ourselves apart, walking within that set-apart process. So, two quick things that sanctification does for us and with us. First thing is this, is it's for our growth as people. God calls us to pursue sanctification in our lives for our, our growth as people. And so, how do we live sanctified? Like we said, we stop living for lesser experiences in life because of familiarity or comfort. I love this verse in Proverbs because it's gross, and I'm a nurse, and I like gross things. Proverbs 26.11, he says, Like a dog returns to his vomit, is a fool who repeats his folly. I love that verse. And so, you know, what it, how, how do we think about that? Well, I think about it like this, is that we've had it before, it's come out of us, and so we can probably tolerate it again, right? But you know, and for me, and my nursing mind tells me that if I've gotten rid of something, it probably means I don't need it. Or it's causing me some type of irritation, it's causing me some type of discomfort, when the body doesn't want it, when the body doesn't need it, it puts it out, But where the fool does, and what we do as fools within the context of our sin or temptation, is we go back to those things because we think we need them. We think we need them for sustenance. We think we need them for support. We think we need them for comfort. We think we need them for peace, or for love, or for acceptance. And so, just like a dog returns to its vomit, too often us as people return to those things that maybe God is trying to flush out of our lives because they're sinful, because they're empty, because they're worthless, but we continue to go back to them because... Well, we figure, I've had it before, maybe I'll have it again, maybe it'll, it'll finally do what I think it can do for me. Maybe it will finally give me the comfort, or finally give me the acceptance, or finally give me the value I think that I want from it. Maybe that's in a relationship, some type of substance, some type of, uh, some type of hobby that we participate in, something we do. It doesn't even necessarily have to be a terrible thing. But if it's this place that we go to to feast on, to find support and love and comfort and value, then it's only, it's pre- especially in our pursuit of God, eventually it's only going to make us push it away. And then if we continue to go back to it, the Bible says we're a fool. Because we're looking for support in ways and in things that aren't meant to provide us that support. And so for us as Christians, if our lives have been relegated to comfort and safety, we are missing our sanctified living. And we're failing to pursue the holiness that God's purpose has provided for us. And listen, I'm not talking about losing our seat at the table. But what I am talking about is missing out on enjoying every bit of what He gives us. Every taste of the meal that He provides for us. I believe that's what God wants for us. God wants us to come into this church and to worship Him and to serve Him and to go out into our communities within the context of our families and disciple our families and to love the people around us. Because it's within the context of those things that we truly experience the good about what God's doing. About who He is. We see the wonders of His work. You know, there's a reason why people still gather to talk about Jesus over 2,000 years since He's been here. Is because it's true it's because it's real. It's because there's substance to it. Because there's value to it. But too often in our day to day lives, we don't pursue that sanctified holiness that He's given to us, and we just settle for lesser things. We push it off to the side. We don't make it valuable or important to our children when we speak to them, when we navigate it, and listen. I'm not pretending to sit up here and act like that. Me, that I have it all figured out and how I disciple my children. But I pray between me and my wife that we never give up on it. That even from day to day, maybe we don't pray every single night. Maybe we don't do a devotion every single night. But listen, if I can, if I can, if I can have a uh, 500 or better record in my my average, then I feel like we're doing something right. You know, or at least acknowledging as a parent that I fail at this sometimes. And I'm thankful that God has provided me with a complimentary partner to step into our relationship. And, and for us to be able to work through those things together and say, hey, we need, to, we need to bump this up. We need to improve this. We need to pray more. We need, to, we need to, 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 to worship more. We need to read more. Because the reality is, is if we're not giving them this, then all we're doing is teaching them to go back to vomit. To go back to lesser things. To go back to those things that will not provide for them. Second Timothy two twenty one through twenty two, as it talks about, uh, where we kind of continue on this idea of how we grow as people, and as we pursue holiness personally, that sanctification is a cleansing process. First Timothy, uh, second Timothy two, it tells us this: therefore, if anyone cleanses himself. For what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart, sanctified as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Listen, and we people in the modern church, we hate to think of the idea that what we do bears any weight on who we are in Jesus, or what we experience from God, but it does. Verse after verse after verse tells us to pursue, tells us to flee, tells us to cleanse ourselves, to sanctify ourselves. There is work for us to do. There are wrongs that we're doing that we need to push away, and there are rights that we aren't doing that we need to grab a hold of. That's just the reality of it. We have to engage those things. We have to engage the fact that there are things that we're doing that are sinful. We can't avoid sin. Sin is that very thing that either separates us from God before Jesus, or it's that very thing that separates us from truly tasting and enjoying everything God gives to us in our Christian walk. There is sin in our lives that we have to acknowledge and we have to begin to cleanse ourselves of. You know, my yard, I, and people who have been to my house know this, my yard stays wet constantly. There's specifically, there's a couple places right next to my house that stay flooded constantly. Well, early on, uh, my philosophy with it, and my probably excuse was, if it's wet, then I don't have to mow it. That's a good reason to avoid it. Oh, I did everything else. I'll come back to that when it dries up. Well, what would happen is that grass would go really tall. It would really nasty. I'm deathly terrified of snakes in my mind. I just know that there's a snake home in there. They're waiting for me to walk by. They're going to eat my feet off. And then uh, I'm, I'm going to, I will physically die right there. And so, you know, for me, I would skip that. I would avoid that. I would push it away. And it would just get, over time, you know, especially, I mean, if, You've lived in the past uh, you know, few months here in De Quincey. I feel like it's literally rained every day. You know, as those times come, it just gets more and more wet. I just have to keep putting it off, keep putting it off, keep putting it off, because I just figure, ah, that's just my excuse. I don't, I don't want to deal with it. I don't have to deal with it. I can't get my mower in there, so I'm not going to worry about it. Well, finally, somebody told me, and it was actually that great fatherly law advice that, that I got, where it's like, listen, if you don't cut it, it's not going to dry up. Right? It's great advice. You can always count on on a father-in-law to let you know what you need to get done. And I appreciate that. If I wasn't going to cut it, it wasn't going to dry, and it would never get better. You know, because it's staying wet, this unusable space, it's unmowable because of the overgrowth. And this overgrowth is blocking the sun from drying the water out, right? It makes sense, but I never really thought about that like like that. Probably because it was just a great excuse to cut off my mowing job early. So, what did I do? I put on my rubber boots, I got my weed eater, and I got after it. And so, what happened in the midst of that? I got filthy, I got muddy, I got nasty. But the job was done, and shortly after, it dried up. I really believe, and where, what does that even have to do with anything? I really believe, for a lot of us, we have spaces in our lives, water holes in our life that are overgrown, that are saturated, that are unusable, that, that we're not dealing with, that we're not approaching, and we're afraid to deal with it because we're afraid it's going to be a little messy. But the reality is, until we step into it, throw our boots on, get nasty, and deal with it, it's never going to get better. It's going to continue to overgrow. It's going to continue to be unusable. It's going to continue to be in our way. It's going to continue to be an eyesore in our life. There are things that we need to get into and deal with so that that space within our life can begin to be usable again. We can let it go because we're not afraid for it to be dealt with. And the beautiful thing about it, church, is that God isn't calling us to this on our own. God is, because He has sanctified us, because He has made us holy, He is in the midst of our pursuit of holiness. He is in the midst of our pursuit of His love and His mercy in, the, in, in that process. You know, for us, you know, He even said in John 17, 17, He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so when we're pursuing that sanctified living, that holy living, we're trying to deal with those messy spots in our life. He says, listen, I've given you what you need to know. And so for us, even for us as a church, the reason that we rely on this word so much is because I believe it holds everything that we need to navigate the pursuit of holiness in our lives. And it reminds us of who God is and what God is doing even beyond our sin. You know, because I, I don't feel the need to slam my fist and tell everybody how disgusting and sinful you are every single week. Listen, the reality is sin is there and it affects us. But what I want us to see even more than just where we fail is what God's doing around us and the process that He's called us to participate in. Because I really think, I really think if we, we are more likely to avoid the sins that entangle us, if we focus on the way God is using us in His redemptive story, rather than focusing strictly on avoiding temptation... If we can see who God is and what God is doing more than we just stress and focus on our temptation, God will lead us through those things. God will show us what He's doing. And not only that, but He'll constantly remind us, even in our wading through the mess of our sin in our lives. Hey, we're going we're to fix this. We're going to accomplish this. It's not going to be in your own strength. It's going to be in mine. But I'm going to walk through this with you. Philippians 2:12 he says therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence as Paul writing this not only in my presence but much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling you know i love that he doesn't say work out your own salvation in confidence and strength and ability because he knows in that process of working out our salvation we're going to struggle In the process of pursuing holiness, of pursuing the sanctified living, being set apart within the world that more and more and more is pressing in against the church and wanting us to be more like them. That how do we continue to be who we are in Jesus without compromising who we believe in? It's because we rest on the work of God in our holiness and we navigate. How do we keep from being prideful in our Christian life? We work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Because we understand that there is nothing that I accomplish separate from what God's doing for me and with me and through me. And so then that allows me that as I deal with people, that, hey, this isn't about me. This isn't about my opinions. This isn't about my perspective. This is about who God is. I just want you to know about it. You know what, you don't agree with me, you don't like me, you hate me, you spit, you throw at me, whatever it might be. The reason people in the Bible and throughout church history have been able to stand in the face of persecution, because they know that the work to be done and the work being done isn't on them, or isn't because of them, because of God. So they can stand and say, listen, if I die for my faith, that's okay, God's work will continue, because it's not just about me. And so that gives them the confidence to stand in the midst of oppression and struggle and persecution and be able to say, this is who God is and this is what He's doing. Because what God is leading us to is He's leading us, does our sanctification not only do good for us, but it does good for those around us. Ezekiel 37, 28, Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you, Israel, when my sanctuary is there in the midst of them forevermore. Remember, we are the temple of God now. We are the indwelling of God. We are His temple here forevermore. It says, through us that the people will know. John 17, 18-19, it says, As you sent me into the world, Jesus talked, and so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate or sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified or set apart in truth. Hebrews 12, 14, says, Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. He has set us apart, sanctified us, so that people see the Lord. Pursuing holiness is not some pious kind of place in which we think we're great and we have it all together. No, pursuing holiness is pursuing this life, this mindset, this ideal that sets us apart as different so that people see something bigger than what the world offers them. People are craving more. They're craving value. They're craving importance. They're craving something outside of this space that we live in. Listen, our God, the Creator of the universe, who is holy, 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 mighty, enthroned on the praises of His people, is the very thing that they need to know and that they're desperately craving. Ephesians 5, 25-26, even in the context of a relationship. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. That is, uh, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the Word. God calls us that as we pursue sanctified living, that we can even sanctify each other. Sanctifying each other through the holiness of God and what He has done with us and for us and through us. Church, when we rest in the God sanctifying work in our lives and His holiness being our guide, He works on us, leaning into our lives, and He never gives up on that process. That's a beautiful truth for us to live in. That's a beautiful truth for me as I try to lead my family and disciple my children with my wife. That even in all of my imperfections, that God is still using us. To accomplish that work, and it's the most valuable thing we do, is pursuing holiness for the sake of those around us, whether it's within our family, our friends, or the people we go to work with. That our pursuit of holiness and sanctification will be the greatest gift we ever give the people around us, because it's through that holiness that they'll see the Lord. Psalm 37:5 says, "Commit your way to the Lord; trust in Him, and He will act. He will act." Church, He is purifying us, working through us, that even when we struggle with sin and we experience the consequences of that, God is sanctifying us. He is using us. He's even discipling us, like good parents, disciple children, to teach them that which is good and right and which is wrong and evil and not good for them, God is continuing that work in us. And so the fact that God is Jehovah Makedesh, or the Lord who sanctifies us. He has set us apart to continue to pursue that sanctified living, or that holiness, within our lives, within our pursuit of discipleship, and how we function in the context of the church, and within our families. So church, could we bow our heads as we finish up this morning? and? Could you just truly evaluate and just ask God to just show you, lead you, guide you, direct you, and what it means that He has not only sanctified us, separated us for holiness, but He's called us to pursue holiness within our lives. That, church, that we would, we would be honest, that if we're laying down ourselves, if we're laying down our children, if we're laying down our friends or our coworkers at the feet or at the altars of lesser gods, that we would ask for God to rapidly change our mindset, to begin to lead us to what it means to truly worship Him, to be obedient to Him, to consecrate or separate ourselves for His holiness, to be beacons of hope, to be beacons of light within the context of these spaces that God has blessed us with, within work, within school, within our social lives, wherever we are that God has consecrated us to be in that space, to draw people to the Lord. And so, church, I pray that we would just... Ask God to give us vision for that in our own lives. Give us confidence for that. Give us courage to step into that in our own lives. Let's pray. Father God, I I thank You. I thank You for who You are. I thank You for the fact that You, before we were even formed in our mother's wombs, God, You were consecrating us, separating us for holiness. And that God, I pray... And I ask that we would pray that whatever is hindering our pursuit of Your holiness, pursuit of that sanctified living, set-apart, consecrated, special living, God, whatever is hindering us from that, God, Lord, I pray that You would begin to detach those things from us. God, untether us from our shame. God, untether us from our doubts. God, untether us from our weaknesses. Lord, let us tether ourselves to You. God, begin leaning on You. God, begin allowing your truths to lead us to be consecrated, to be different, to be separated, to be a beacon of hope to people around us that desperately are seeking God. They're not seeking trends, Lord. We know that they're not seeking, Lord, shallow, unauthentic experiences or relationships, God, that they're truly, they're, they're pursuing truth. They're pursuing You, because You are truth, God. And so I pray that we as Christians, we can be those people that help them to see that truth. God, that as we sanctify ourselves, God, You would lead us to help sanctify those around us. God, let us never take it for granted. God, let us never see it as a work that is lesser. Father, God, let us lay ourselves down at the foot of Your altar. God, because at Your altar... The sacrifice has already been made. The blood has already been shed. God, you've invited us to live in that hope. Father God, let us be those people. Lord, we just love you. God, we thank you and praise you in your holy name. Amen.